Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Burns and Gambo starts now. Straight up 2 o'clock on this Friday in Phoenix. John Gambador, we pulled Steve Zinsmeister over from our news department to do the show with me. Although, do you, you do sports stuff every now and then? Every Saturday. Uh, Mitch yeah. and I are on Arizona Sports Saturday, 11 to 1. Check us out. There you go. You've been doing that for a every while, weekend. haven't you? Yeah. I mean, I've been doing that show off and on for five, six years. How about that? But Mitch and I have been doing it together every weekend for the last year and a half, maybe. He's uh, carrying me in the backpack on that I show. Don't know That's about that. for certain. My you back know. hurts, though. Uh, ooh, wow. How about that? Well, listen, I, I think I'm ready to uh, make an offer to the Pac-12 and maybe just see if I can broadcast their right their games on my Instagram page. There you go. I mean, that's, you I have mean, a lot of followers. That'd be good. I got a lot of followers. I mean, I could grab the games broadcast on my Instagram page. There you go. There it is, right there. But what's the difference between that and Ion TV? That's the really, who has more viewers? Who has more viewers? Me when I post something to my Instagram or Ion TV? Now listen, I got nothing against Blue Bloods. It's a good show. It's a great show. I like it. Tom Brady's uh, uh, first uh, kid's mom is on that show. Tom Selleck, he's older than dirt, but Tom says it's a good show, Blue Bloods. Um, but I mean, how many people watch that on Ion TV? Do they still make new episodes of that? I believe that they okay. still make new episodes. Because I know Blue a lot Bloods. of the shows on Ion are um, Re- reruns. reruns. Yeah, yeah. they're Law and Order SVU and Criminal Minds and yeah. Yeah. And listen, I like watching old TV shows. Like last night, I watched like an old Mission Impossible. Right? Old Mission Impossible. Which like, one? Do you remember? I don't remember what, what episode it was. But I mean, I, I could describe the whole episode, but I don't remember what the, what the name of it was. So I like watching old TV shows. But man, this is getting ugly for the Pac-12. Man, they're getting laughed at. Pac-12. Apple still is. This is from Brett McMurphy. Apple still has not made a formal offer for the Pac-12's media rights, but Ion Television has emerged as a potential Pac-12 partner, and people are just making fun of it up and down, laughing at the Pac-12. Like, what are you going to get from them? And are they just going to use that to promote the reruns of Blue Bloods? Like, and uh, somebody was like, "I've got to keep an eye on this one." Like, I O N. Okay, that was pretty funny. Yeah, when's the ASU game on tonight? It's on after Hawaii Five O. Right. Um, exactly. Li- listen, we can make fun of it all we want. And it probably deservedly Don't so. Don't let that game go to overtime because they will go to Hawaii 5-0 over an overtime game in college basketball. We can't push criminal minds too far. Uh, yeah, no, but listen, when you compare it to some of the other conferences and what they're getting, like being on Fox is appealing. Being on another network that everybody gets at home is appealing. Yes. Ion, not very appealing, but I will say this, at least it's over the air. At least people can get it with a $10 antenna on their TV. Is that still not better than what they currently have, their current situation? I don't know what the viewership is on Ion Television, but I'm telling you, the vast majority of people that are listening to this show right now don't watch Ion TV, have no idea where to find it, and would have to speak into their clicker to find out what channel it's on. I just think it might be more accessible than their current situation, despite the fact that nobody watches it. I wonder if you have to do it. You actually do have to get an antenna to get that eye on TV. You can. You you can. It's over the air. I don't know that you have to, but you can. You're not old enough to know, but we used to like wrap the aluminum foil on the antenna, try to get better I have an antenna in my living room. Yeah. Would you put aluminum foil on it? No, no aluminum foil. Did you ever have the circular antenna? Like the circular one that came with the regular one? Mine kind of looks like a sheet of paper, and and you have to put it up on the back of the TV, and it picks up the signals. But yeah. How yeah, that? it works pretty good. Yeah, that's that's. I'm going to be watching ASU football on that that's, thing. So. That's the way to do it. All right, let's not waste any time talking about the Pac-12's disaster of a television deal they're trying to get. Let's get <laughs> right to our top story of the day. 
Burns and Gambo, the weigh-in. Brought to you by Revitalize Weight Loss. All right, it was Newsmakers Week this week, so we will get you uh, a lot of the stuff that happened today on Bickley and Murata. Jonathan Gannon was on. Mike Hazen, the GM of the D-backs, was on. So we'll break that down for you throughout throughout the course of the show. We are going to talk with the skipper, Tori Lovello, the D-backs manager at 2.30. And Casey Jacobson, my good buddy. We'll talk some college basketball with him at 5.30. ASU with this gauntlet of a three-game game road trip in which they might have to win all three on the road to get in. Two out of three maybe, but three out of three would get it done for them to get into the tournament. But that is a three-game stretch there where they're playing at Arizona, at USC, at UCLA. So we'll talk to Casey about ASU's chances and just about how far he thinks U of A can go once they get to the NCAA tournament. But let's get you started for uh, get you excited for the game tonight. No Kevin Durant, Bummer. but the Suns and OKC tonight, and this is a home game, but this is a really desperate Oklahoma City team. Desperate in the fact that they are fighting. They're 28 and 30. There's 24 games to go. They're a half game behind the Jazz and the Warriors for the last play-in spot. A lot of people, they thought thought they would be in tankathon mode, but they're actually playing good. Shea Gilgis-Alexander has been outstanding. They're a young team with Josh Giddy, who's 20, and they've got Jalen Williams, who's 21, and Lou Dort, the former Sun Devil, is 23. They're a young team. And they've got the former son, Dario Saric, on that team. So uh, Dario Saric returned to Phoenix. But this is a game that you're going to play a team that is really trying to win these basketball games. They lost a tough one last night. They were on the road against the Jazz. And they they lost to the Jazz in overtime. Hard-fought game. Uh, but they're young. And they, they've got their eye on the prize. Their schedule's pretty easy. And they feel like they can get one of these playoff spots considering the added teams in the play-in right now. The Thunder are kind of interesting to me because they've been had so many different types of teams over the last couple of years, including the version of the Thunder that had Chris Paul when he was in the top five in MVP voting just a couple of years ago. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, I'll say this about him, he's one of very few players that is 25 or under who continues to get better and better every single year. Suns almost drafted him. The Suns almost made a trade for him. The trade, they, they were two guys they targeted in that draft after DeAndre Ayton. One was Mikael Bridges, the other was Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Shea Gilgis-Alexander was first, but they were reluctant to put the unprotected Miami pick in that deal. So Shea Gilgis-Alexander got drafted. And they were like, there's another guy we really like. And finally they said, okay, just put the pick in the deal and go get the guy. And that was Mikael Bridges. And that was a time when the Suns desperately needed the point guard situation to be figured out. They were struggling so that with makes point guards for years. Sense. They almost traded for Shea Gilgis-Alexander. That was Ryan McDonough identified two guys outside of DeAndre he wanted to get. One was Shea Gilgis-Alexander, the other Mikael Bridges. They did not offer the Miami pick to get Shea, and then eventually they did offer it to get Mikael Bridges. And as everybody knows, they would have drafted Dante DiVincenzo if Philly didn't call back and say, okay, I'm going to take that deal. Right. So they were on the clock. The Suns are on the clock. Got the card, putting it in, Dante DiVincenzo. Philly calls back, says, okay, we'll accept that deal. And then Philly makes the trade. The Suns end up with Mikael Bridges, and the rest is history. And now Mikael Bridges is on the Nets, and his favorite play is Kevin Durant. Um, so that's where we are. But this is this will be a fun game tonight. No Kevin Durant, but this will be a game with the Dario's return. Dario's played two games for Oklahoma City. A lot of people thought he might get bought out of something, but he's playing. He played 14 minutes in the his first game against Houston. He played 12 minutes last night. 
He had uh, 12 points in his first game. He had two points in his second game. So Dario's getting 12 to 14 minutes, but Dario Saric in Oklahoma City. And again, an exciting team, a very, very young team. Matter of fact, when Dario got there, and Dario is 28 years old right now, and when he got there, he I think he became their oldest player. <laughs> I, think he, I think he just became the oldest player on the Thunder roster because they're just so young. They're just a very, very young basketball team. But they're talented, and they'll get at it, and they do have a great player in Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and they do got some other young players that are starting to step up and play really well. So this will be a challenge for the Phoenix Suns tonight, playing a team, although they did play last night, playing a team that's really fighting hard to get into this this the playoffs, even if it's in the play-in tournament. And if I can go back to Durant for a second, I know he's mm. not playing in this game, but there is this narrative, or was at least, that you'd be f- facing his former team in the Thunder. That carries a little bit of uh, importance, I guess. And uh, there was a lot of excitement around the Valley. I could feel it. I think you could feel it, too. And the networks were flexing this game to make it a bigger deal because they thought it was going to be the one where Durant made his debut with the Suns. And it got me thinking about... When was the last time we were this excited about the debut of a brand new player here in the Valley? I mean, I was excited for Corbin Carroll's debut as a rookie last year, but that's not rookie. the same level. You're talking about a player who got traded here? I, I guess it would have to be a trade, or, or uh, it could be opening day for a big-name free agent. Chris Paul comes to mind, obviously, in the last couple of years. I mean, this is fairly unprecedented, or at least it's been a long time since we've been sitting on the edge of our seat waiting for a guy to make his debut. Well, when Chris came here, there was a lot of people like, I can't, you know, he was older, and it was like, you know, you you wondered what he had left in the tank, and he led the Suns to the NBA Finals, and he was great. But, you know, just going through it with the D-backs, I mean, you know, just recently, you know, Madison Bumgarner, no, and trying to think of guys that they, they, you know, Granky's debut was pretty big, I guess. Whose debut? Granky. Granky? He was coming off yeah. of those Dodger years. Yeah, he had that unbelievable ERA with the Dodgers. Had that incredible year with them. Um, but I, I still don't think it really no, compares. No, not, not at this level. I mean, the only thing that compares to it, I think, is the Barkley. Yeah. Is Barkley. You know, even when the Diamondbacks were getting players, I don't know, Richie Sexton, or you try to think of some of the players that they acquired and brought in. J.D. Martinez, when he came over in that trade. That's a big one. Not at this level. Not no. at the level of Kevin Durant. But you got to be patient. You'll wait a little bit. The Suns will end up with Kevin Durant playing. But game tonight, you're playing Oklahoma City. Very good young team and a team that's trying to win basketball games. Just announced, Guns N' Roses are heading to Chase Field on October 11th. Tickets are now on sale. And you can win a pair now by texting Rose. Roses to 620-620. That's Roses to 620-620. Welcome to the jungle, Guns and Roses fans. Newsmakers Week continued today and wrapped up today with Bickley and Murata. And they had a host of guests, including a new head coach of your Arizona Cardinals, Jonathan Gannon. We'll break down some of the big topics that they discussed on the show next, right here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Burns and Gambo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, one way or another, we're going to get you through this show. You got it? (laughs) There you go, Mitch. All right, Steve Zinsby's to fill it in for Burnsy. He's off today. His kid's getting married tomorrow. Married? Married. Yes, married. So uh, his kid's getting married tomorrow. I'll be there. And then uh, he'll be off Monday, too, and then he'll be back on Tuesday. You going to make a speech? 
I'm not making any speech. You make a speech? No, I'm. Just, I don't, I'm no, just, he's going to use a pen and then put that pen to some paper and then rip that piece of paper out and then <laughs> hand it over to Jake. So, just funny story. So, Bernie's got a friend who was on the, uh, you know, the uh, the diners, drive-ins, and what, what's the name of the guy? Guy Fieri, guy Fieri the show. Fieri. Fieri. So Bernie's got a friend who's been listening to the show for a long time. That won it like twice. He won it. He like won the show. Like he you can win on that show. The, it was guys' grocery games. Guys' where grocery they games. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nick, he kicked ass. He and he, and he won. So I set. So I set my wife up for uh, uh for and, and Nick's going to be at my table, and I set my wife up to have Nick come to our house for her birthday and like cook a, a meal for her. But she doesn't really like surprises. So when she opened the door, she was kind of shocked. And so then she shut the door. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is it ended up being fine. But she like, knew oh who he was, obviously. Like, yeah, we watched the show. Like, right. Bernsey told us, like, our friend, we watched the show. And he won. And then we watched it. And he won. He won twice. So I set it up to have him, like, cook a, a chef's dinner for my wife's birthday. And That's kind of cool. Out. Right. And But, like, she would have rather have known. Because <laughs> then she was a surprise. She goes and answers, hey, your chef's here to cook it. And she was like, she just shut the door and ran away. I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be a disaster. But it ended up being fine. He cooked a great meal for us. And it was, uh, it was fantastic. You're going to have the fun table, I feel like. We'll have the fun table. Yes, we'll have the fun table. All right, let's get into it. Jonathan Gannon, the head coach of your Arizona Cardinals, was on Newsmakers Week with Bickley and Murata today. Uh, he was asked what he was looking for in an offensive coordinator. You know, what I was looking for in the offensive coordinator position was really a guy that's been in multiple schemes. That was one of the first things that I thought about, hey, you know, how do I want to how do I want the offense to look as the head coach? And really that was for this is, you know, if you've only been in one scheme your whole life, that's what you know and that's okay. A lot of people do a really good job and are highly successful with their one scheme and how they do things, but with when you figure out with when you have one scheme, you have to fit those exact pieces in perfectly. All right, so he's looking for somebody that doesn't have just one scheme. There's a lot of adaptability here on offense and defense, being adaptable, changing, you know, coaching the players you have, not trying to have them fit into your one style, but you adjust to them. Adjust, you got a great running game, adjust to a power running game. You got, got four great wide receivers, adjust to four and five wide receiver sets. You got a great tight end, utilize that tight end, get him seven, eight catches a game. You know, so a lot of it, and you could tell, is I, I, I want. Want to be able to coach the players we have and get the most out of them rather than saying, hey, here's a system. This is the scheme. This is what I do. You guys got to make this work. You, This is work. You'll be successful. Do it this way. So that's what he seems like he was saying with getting an offensive coordinator. I like having a coach that can be adaptable. I didn't feel that Cliff Kingsbury did that very well, whether it was specifics within the game plan or mid-game making changes to his plan or just the scheme in general. Now, Jonathan Gannon famously said, I don't have have a scheme, which could be taken a couple different ways. I think there's a fine line, Gambo, between being the man with the plan and having an idea of what you want to do and what you want to accomplish. Your scheme needs to look a certain way. Everybody has a base offense, a base defense. But at the same time, you do need to be able to make adjustments. The best coaches in the NFL, they have a scheme 
and they're also able to make adjustments based off of what they see. Well, believe it or not, most of these teams have a lot of the same concepts. The key is sure. you got to build off the concepts. You have to build off of them. And it was always a, a thing that you, you didn't really get that out of the Cardinals' offense. They didn't build off the concepts. A lot of people have said, oh, they figured Cliff out. Well, they knew what the concepts are. And if you're not building off of those things, you know, like, you know, you, you could go back to the play where A.J. Green didn't turn around and the ball got intercepted. Was that the Green Bay game? Remember the Green Bay game? When, um, and I think it was, was it Rasul Douglas, the former Cardinal, yeah. intercepted him? You know, that simple play, and I talked to a lot of people in the NFL about this. How could you run a play where a guy doesn't think he's going to get the ball? Everybody needs to have a route where the possibility is they may catch the ball. Problem is, A.J. Green didn't turn around and didn't think I was getting the ball. That play wasn't called for me. But you can't have an offense like that. You can't have an offense where you've got certain guys going out and they're not even turning around because the ball's... The, well, what if something happens? What if, what if the first guy falls down, the second guy's double teamed, and you're the third guy and you don't think you're getting the ball, you don't turn around? So everything's got to be built to where you think there's a possibility you may get the football. And too many times, you know, with Cliff, there were offenses that were run where the first, you know, there were a guy or two guys that they weren't going to get the ball and they didn't run a pattern like they were going to get the ball. And that A.J. Green is a perfect example. A.J. Green didn't turn around because that play, it wasn't really supposed to be for him. There wasn't, a, there wasn't anything figured out, but you can't run offenses like that. You have to have an offense in which everybody ha- potentially could end up with the football. And A.J. Green didn't run a pattern that day like he was going to get the football because he wasn't supposed to. Jonathan Gannon also mentioned that Drew Petzing has been a part of many different offenses. He's experienced different things with different coaches above him and different coordinators. How many different NFL offenses was Cliff Kingsbury a part of as a coach? Before no, coming just, to the Cardinals. Just as a player None. with the Patriots. As None. A, as a backup quarterback for the Patriots for he a short time. He had his way or the highway. Yeah, that's how he, 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 he had learned he under the coaches. I'm sure he made adjustments that we don't really see or know about, but, you know, it just it wasn't enough. It wasn't. And the other thing is you had a quarterback who, if the first guy wasn't open, you were in a whole lot of trouble. Here's Gannon talking about figuring out how each player works in the offense. You know, I've been around a lot of players that the what coaches were asking them to do, they weren't comfortable with. And that's some adaptability to that. You know, there, you have to figure out the medium of between, okay, well, here's how you can help our team win because that's most important, how you fit into the team. And then also, we want you to be a really good player, too, and use your skill sets. And we need to do that as coaches, figure that out as coaches, what those positions are. Yeah, and that could be you've got a tight end who's a great blocker, and he may want to catch the ball, but you know what you could help us with is being a blocking tight end. We need you to block. You know, there's there's some teams out there where, you, where the wide receivers are all blocking down the field, and those teams are very successful when everybody's buying in to doing the right thing. So, you know, use the skill set. Everybody may want to be the star and score the touchdowns and be the guy that's getting the ball in the red zone, but there are other guys that can do certain things, whether it's using your speed as a decoy or being a blocker on a certain play. There are things that you could do to help the team. You don't get the ball, but you still get the reward because the team ends up winning the game. At another point in this interview, Gannon talked about somebody had asked him who's the most important person in the building. And he said, well, the easy cop-out answer is the general manager. They pick all the players. They're a part of building the staff. The general manager is the most important. They said, eh, well, give me another answer because that's easy, right? And he basically said, well, honestly, it's whoever gets the most out of their players that they're responsible for. It could be the offensive coordinator. It could be the defensive line coach. It could be the tight ends coach. It could be the assistant tight ends coach. It could be the trainer keeping everybody healthy. He said it could be the chef 
providing the best possible meals to maximize the player's nutritional value and health. It's a mindset that Gannon seems to have that everybody in the organization carries a certain value. That doesn't mean that whoever previously had the job before him didn't feel that, that sounds way. like Matt Ishbia's press conference. It sounds a lot when he like it, doesn't about, it? Like, you know, the security guards, and they're going to greet you with a smile, and even the chefs of them are important. Like, everybody's important. Everybody's got a role in helping this team win. That was Matt Ishbia's press conference. And That's true. That's a good point. It was. That's I, exactly what he Ishbia talked about. When Ishbia got hired, I didn't know much about the guy. So what I do when I when a new guy comes to town, I did the same thing with Tori Lovello, who we're going to talk to here soon. Uh, I search him on YouTube, and I find interviews they do, and I found one on Matt Ishbia just talking about how he runs his business and talking about how I, I refuse to let people be late to meetings because they're wasting everyone else's time because everyone's time is important. Everyone's role is important. And I get that same vibe from Jonathan Gannon. All right. Well, let's, let's get to a uh, another cut from Jonathan Gannon today when he was on with Bickley and Murata. And this one is a big one. The plans that the team has for Isaiah Simmons. There'll be a plan for every one of our players, you know, and part of that adaptability that that it's kind of a loaded word, and mm-hmm. I understand that. But how it relates to players is this: we need to get on the grass and get in the classroom and see what guys can handle and see what they can do physically as it relates to how we're going to structure the offense, defense, and special teams. But then you really just want to find spots for guys to where they can, you know, really be really. Um, thrive in the role that they're in. So whatever role we put our guys in, whatever positions or whatever we're asking them to do offense, defense, special teams wise, we want those guys to be able to excel in those roles. All right, and that's what they expect. Isaiah Simmons, and you know he's a good player, and he could be great. What do they have to do to get the most out of him? You want to see these draft picks turn it around and get those second contracts because that's how you can really judge them. If you subscribe to the Burns and Gambo Show podcast, subscribe right now on your iPhone, Android. You'll never miss any of the shows. It's the Burns and Gambo Show brought to you by Carol Royce, your home sold guaranteed realty. Get a higher price selling your home. Get guaranteed offers. Go to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. He's the skipper of your Arizona Diamondbacks, Tori Lovella. We'll talk some baseball with him next right here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Your exclusive home of the D-backs. Diamondbacks. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. D-backs manager Tori Lovello joins Burns and Gambo to talk D-backs baseball. Oh, my favorite time of the year. I don't hide it. My favorite sport by far is baseball. Nothing's close. I say it all the time. That, that is my favorite sport. I love going to baseball games. I love watching baseball. And I'm excited to watch this D-backs team this year. And the skipper joins us on the program right now, Tori Lavello. Tori Bernsey's out today. His kid's getting married tomorrow. So Steve Zinsmeister's filling in. How are you, my friend? I am doing unbelievable, guys. Good to be back with you. Bernsey's like... 30 years old. How does he have a child old enough to, to get married? I don't get that. He looks oh. way too young. He look, well, that's nice. I'll we'll tell, tell him you I'll said, tell that, him yeah. said that. Yeah, no, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's in his 50s. His, uh, his kid, I think his kid is 26, 25, that's 25, awesome. and he's getting married tomorrow. Married. Yeah. 
I can't. That's awesome. It's a beautiful thing. Tell uh, tell them all congratulations, or maybe I'll get a chance to text them myself. You got it. All right. I, so many things that I want to talk to you about. So let's let's get right into it. The, the shift being eliminated is something I'm so excited about. And you guys were a predominantly left-handed hitting team, and it really doesn't make mm-hmm. a lot of sense because left-handed hitters, their on-base percentage, their batting average last year was the worst in 21 years. There are fewer left-handed yeah. hitters in Major League Baseball that at any time in the past two decades. It dropped by over yeah. 12%. Left-handed hitters used to have such an advantage, but once you put the shift in, it took it away. I mean, the batting average of left-handed hitters went down to like 236. It was brutal. Uh, you guys yeah. were a very heavily left-handed hitting team. Why were you so left-handed dominant when the shift was still in baseball last year? Yeah, I think it's a very fair ask. Um, I know at one point in time last year, we were um, an affected team, and we were among the league leaders, and and having that affect us and hits taken away. Um, But that just equals hard-hit balls, too. I just want to make sure that we're hitting the ball hard, and have they freed that up a little bit. We're bound to have a little bit more offense. That's what Major League Baseball wanted. I think the fan experience was the most important thing. They wanted to see a little bit of excitement on the bases, um, which will result hopefully more stolen bases, a little bit more offense, a little bit more excitement. And the reason why I can't explain it, um, you know, I, I know that when we first got here, we were a very right-handed hitting team. And I think that um, uh, Mike and Amiel and company really were trying to make an em- uh, get an emphasized uh, left-handed hitting lineup and, and really went into that part of the, of the day of, of the scouting um, process to get those type of athletes. And it equaled a lot of good left-handed hitting team, uh, uh, hitters. And we'll see where that takes us now. We should get a little bit of relief with this new rule and hopefully score more runs. Let's talk about the balance that you have with Longoria here and with Lewis and Guriel. Do you feel that you've got the balance that you need in the lineup so you can match a little bit better? Of course. I mean, there were times last year, and this was one one of my um, comments as we went into the off season. There were times last year where we went into, um, uh, you know, a, a, t- a tough Dodger series, and we're going to face Urias and, and Kershaw, and we would have to run four or five lefties out in that lineup. Um, and look, it's not to say that our lefties weren't qualified to do it and do the job the way we, we felt like they could, but when you get a right-handed batter up there, and uh, you know it's bound to be a little bit more productive, sight lines are a little bit better, a little bit different. I think a lot of these right-handed hitters are paid snipers. They're going to go out there and they're going to they're going to pound left-handed pitching. And Mike went out there and addressed that and did a great job. So I feel like we're going to have a very very balanced lineup. Of course, you're going to see a couple right-on-right matchups or a couple left-on-left matchups, but they're going to be the ones that are hand-picked and ones that are, that are equaling a very good uh, projected result. Talking about Diamondbacks manager Tori Lovello here on the Burns and Gambo show. Uh, Tori, after the trade of Dalton Varsho, your team, you really only have one power hitter in your lineup that I would say. Christian Walker hit 36 home runs last year. The next highest on your team was 12 by Cattell Marte with Varsho gone. Mm-hmm. Do you worry about the lack of power in this lineup? Uh, of course I do. I mean, I I love I love big balls. I love I love home runs that are that are that are hit and and you know uh, guys are going out there and, and doing a good job of of, of presenting their themselves through their approach um, and having a good result. So I I think it's I think it's a very healthy way to score runs. But my preference is to win the game with good pitching and good defense and. Um, 
timely hitting. I want us to be good hitters. So that's something we preach inside of our system. And we have good hitters that are going to find a way to have balls carry out of the ballpark. Home runs are thrown. They're not hit. I don't want guys going up there looking at home runs. I know we have really good power. Gurriel, for example, at 20 home runs a couple of years ago, had a little bit of a handmade injury, which impacted his ability to drive the baseball. I think he's going to be a little bit more productive. We have some natural um, uh, maturity going on with with some of our young hitters, and I think they're going to start to push balls out of the ballpark too. But if we talk about it as a major point of emphasis, that's all guys are going to try to do. And we're trying to get away from that inside of our clubhouse. Like I said, I want guys to be good hitters that have the baseball carry over the fence because they're in a really good spot to connect and drive the baseball. Tori, I think you guys can compete for a, for a wild card spot this year. If you, if you play it right, right? If you play it right, mm-hmm. I think you guys have a shot. The talent is incredible. You've got a big advantage mm-hmm. over many teams with your speed, the stolen bases, going from first to third. I mean, everything that you guys can do that other teams can't. The outfield defense is going to be as good as anybody's in baseball. But I have to ask you about Madison Bumgarner. You, you shut him down at the end of last year. I don't think you could afford to give... If you want a challenge for a wild card spot, I don't think you could afford to give games away if he's back to being the pitcher we've seen in the last two years. So I'll ask you, is there a short leash on Madison Bumgarner to start this season? Well, that's nothing we've really talked about at this point. We're, we're projecting that Bum's going to come into camp and, and in a way that we've seen so far, throw the ball good and, and have a good year. I, I would say this. We evaluate everybody the same, and we need guys to go out and perform. And if, if you're not doing your job, obviously there's, there's, there's other solutions. So um, that's just the nature of the game. That's the nature of this beast that we are in. And um, I, I don't think really anybody is exempt from that. You're right. I think we've got to go out and, and – and and put the best lineup out there on each night that's going to allow us the chance to win baseball games. And I agree with you, Gambo. We've got a good baseball team, and we can win every single night. That's not to mean we can go 162-0. and But I'm saying on a given night with our lineup, our starting rotation, our ability to pick up the baseball, our athleticism, we could win against any team in baseball. We started to prove that to ourselves towards the back end of last year. We, we went in with a young team and beat the Dodgers and beat the Padres. We started to do our job at a very high level, and I think that's pushing us forward for this year. It was a catalyst for a very healthy yeah. offseason, and I want our guys to believe they can win every single night. So, you know, specifically with Bum, he's going to get the baseball. He's done it. We know it. But, you know, we'll evaluate him after every start like we evaluate everybody, and we'll give ourselves a chance to win every every night with the best best possible scenario we, we can. Okay, good, because I'd hate to see you miss the wild card by three games and you held on to, to a starter too long to try to get him right. You guys have a lot of talented young pitchers. One of them's definitely going to make the rotation. I loved what I saw out of Jameson. I love Nelson. My favorite, to be honest with you, and I don't think he'll start the season with you guys, but I do think he'll be up at some point this year is Brandon Fat. Tell me about yeah. him and his development, and, and do you believe that you will we will see him this year? Yeah, look, we can't sneak anything by you, right? You got this. You know, you know our system inside and out, and we certainly appreciate that. It's about you know what we have today and what's coming tomorrow. And you're always pushing this ball club, and we certainly appreciate that. But you're right, Brandon Fott is somebody that is projected to go out and have a very healthy 2023, and we'll see where that takes him. Uh, he pounds the zone. Uh, he's got he's got a you know. <laughs> Several really good pitches, good pitch sequences. He understands how to go out there, get the work done, and get out and execute it, executes at a very high level. But we do have a very spirited, comp, a competitive camp going on with our starting pitchers. And you know the names. It's Jamison Henry, um, Nelson. And 
to many others that have been brought into camp to go out and compete. I want them to compete. I don't want anybody to get complacent. Complacency, it's a very dangerous thing in sports. And, you know, we, we've given them clarity. We know, we've told them what their job is. They know what they're going out there to do every single time. They're getting the ball in spring training. And we'll see where that takes us. Talking with Tori Lovello here on the Burns and Gambo Show. Uh, let's go back to speed for a second. It's obvious that your lineup has a lot of speed in it, a lot of young guys, particularly in the outfield. You were sixth in stolen bases in 2022. You led the league in the month of September when your lineup was more comparable to what it'll be like this coming season. Will you make it a point to try to steal more bases this coming season, or is it just going to be a natural byproduct of the speed on the roster? Right. I mean, we got a lot of really nice shiny toys to play with, right? When you're talking about speed and, and understanding about how to steal a base, there's an art to it. And it's practiced and talked about by who I think is one of the best, uh, it, it, arguably the best base coach in, in all of baseball, first base coach in Dave McKay, who, who's in charge of our base running. Uh, we exploit things. We spend a lot of time studying. We spend a lot of time paying attention to things that are going to allow us to be successful. We're not going to just run into outs on the bases. So you throw out that we were very good period last year now you mix in all these rule changes with a bigger base and you know look i'm not i'm not that smart but i know it's an inch and a half closer on in, in two directions so we're going to get from point a to point b a little bit quicker um and we we got to figure out a way to exploit the, the pitch clock and we're going to do that we've been talking about that we've had a lot of really good early discussions about how are we going to make our base dealers even better that we're already already great so we need them to be greater and that's really our mindset in every set of circumstances but we love where we're at with the speed we love where we're at with our athleticism how do you find at bats for Paven smith is it uh can you get him dh at bats against right-handed pitching can you get him i mean that outfield is loaded you got five really good players how do you find yeah. at bats how do you find at bats for Paven? Yeah, it's a good problem that I'm going to have, right? When you are searching for ways to get guys in the lineup that have proven themselves at, at this level, you're in a good spot. And, you know, let's go back a couple of years. We were searching for names. We were searching for warm bodies to go out there and put in the lineup to give us that production. But it's changed in a hurry here. We have really good young players that are going to fight for um, at-bats. So, you know, it's easy to say that everybody's going to stay healthy um, right now and everybody's going to have a productive year right now. But but we have a lot of understudies. We have a lot of depth, and that's a really good situation for me to be in. Um, I'll mix and match it. If everybody does stay healthy and has a projected year that they're, they're, they're supposed to, Paven will get out bats. He's going to find his way in the lineup. He's going to find his way into uh, every day. Um, not, not every day at bats, but more consistent at bats to where he doesn't lose his swing. But he's got to earn it. He's got to go out there and show us what he can do in spring training. We're not handing anything to anybody. And I know Paven knows that, and I know he's excited for a good season. Skip, I have a, I have a lot of good guests that come on this show every week from all the teams, so I'm not going to lie. I mean, my, my favorite time is, is, is talking some baseball with you every week. So I appreciate, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I do. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this season. Can't wait to go watch that team play. So we'll talk to you next week. Okay, boys. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, All right, that's Tori Lavello, the skipper of your Arizona Diamondbacks. And, uh, yeah, I'm really pumped for this season. I, I loved Vars show. I didn't want to give up any of those outfields. I think everybody did. I was yeah. being greedy. I was being greedy. I wanted them all. But uh, let's see what this Marino kid could do at catcher Marino because uh, they definitely could use some catching help. But him and Carson Kelly should be able to man that position real well. Big matchup in Tucson. Big matchup in Tucson for ASU and the Pac-12. What would the Sun Devils have to 
do to get in. And we'll talk a little bit about that Ion Network thing. That's coming up next right here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. The Burns and Gambo need to know. Twitter poll presented by Sanderson Ford. Sanderson Ford, 51st Avenue in Glendale. Don't forget Sanderson Lincoln if you're looking for a new Navigator. Patrick Heigl and the crew over there, second to none. They got the Black Label Navigators. They're on uh, just east of the I-17 on Bell Road. You can check them out at SandersonLincoln.com. We trust Eric 100% with the poll question. I don't even know what it is today, Eric, so... Hit me with your best shot. Would you say that Sanderson has the best lineup in the Valley? Oh, uh, there's no question. Over 600 new vehicles right now at Sanderson Ford. Well, then the question ties into it. Do the Suns have the best starting five in the NBA if fully healthy? Yes or no? I did, we did a story yesterday. They were rated fifth. They liked Milwaukee's lineup better and Boston's lineup better. And a few. Yeah, I mean, I think they do. I think they have the best lineup in the NBA. I think they've got a top five center. I think they've got the the greatest play, one of the greatest players that's ever played the game. They've got one of the greatest point guards that's ever played the game. They have a guy that's going to be a perennial all star, a shooting guard. Yeah, I think they have the best starting lineup in the league. They have the best lineup, but it doesn't always equate to being the most equipped. I mean, this team hasn't really played together all that much, and they haven't all been healthy at the same time. Then you acquire a guy like Kevin Durant who hasn't played in a long time. So it's going to take some time to click. But, yeah, on paper, who's better? 84.7% of our audience agrees with both of you. It's an absolute blowout. Only 15.3% believe that there is another better starting five in the NBA if fully healthy. All right, that is your poll question. You can go on the Burns and Gambo page and you can find that. Arizona State basketball, this is it. Like, this is it for them. They've got a three-game gauntlet. We've been warning people about this for quite some time as they were losing games that they probably shouldn't have lost. But here it is. They've got three games remaining, and they've got, they're have got they all on the road, and they're against the two powerhouse programs in the Pac-12 and USC. They're going to play against Arizona tomorrow. Then they've got to play USC and UCLA. they got to play all those games on the road. They have to win. I think they probably have to win two of the three to be on the bubble. Three would get them in. Two out of three, if they, because now you're beating, if you could beat, two out of three means that you've beaten either Arizona or UCLA. So if they could beat USC and beat either Arizona or UCLA, then that might be enough to get them into that conversation of should they get into the NCAA tournament. But going to win in McHale, like, first of all, all three of these teams beat Arizona State here. So now you're going to have to go on the road and beat them. Arizona and UCLA are in a dogfight for who's going to win the Pac-12 regular season title. So nobody's going to give up any ground. Rivalry game. Going to McHale and trying to win a basketball game is very difficult to do. Not a lot of teams are able to have success going there. It's one of the great home court advantages in all of college basketball. And then UCLA's got a great team. I mean, you're talking about two teams right now that are a two-seed, probably a two-seed in the bracketology and then USC's a good team. So I, th- this is it for Bobby Hurley. Like, if you want to get this team to the NCAA tournament, you got to win two out of these three. If not, you're going to have to win the Pac-12 title. You're going to have to win it. 
And I'm kind of glad the USC game of the three is the last one. Because like you said, you're talking about a number seven team in the country in Arizona. Then you're talking about number four UCLA. And I'm like you. If you win one of those two, I'm good with it as long as you beat USC. That makes that sort of a must-win game, and it's the last game of the season. To your point about Bobby Hurley, if you don't make the tournament... What happens with Bobby Hurley? It's a good going question. Forward? I mean, you got to ask the simple question: Can you do better? And uh, I don't know that you can. I mean, Bobby cares. Bobby cares. He's had a couple of. He's had some success, but not quite the success that you've wanted. It's it's hard to be ASU in a state with Arizona basketball right down the block just a couple of hours away. Because it really is one of the great programs in all of college basketball. They've won a national championship. They've been to another national championship game where they lost to Duke. They've had tons of appearances in the Elite Eight, Sweet 16. How many Pac-12 titles have they won? How many guys have they put into the NBA? So it is a, it is a difficult task to compete against them. You know, if a kid has a chance to go to one of the two schools, they're going to choose Arizona. You know, Arizona gets you seen by more people. You get to play in bigger games. You get the chances to go to the NBA. So I, I, I don't know what to do with Bobby. It's a great question. But you got to ask yourself, can you do better than Bobby Hurley? Now, what if St. John's or somebody from the East Georgetown comes calling? Would Bobby leave? Would Bobby leave if St. John's fires Anderson... St. John's hasn't won a NCAA game in, since I think 2000. It's quite embarrassing uh, for what was my favorite program as a kid growing up. Um, if St. John's called Bobby Hurley, if Georgetown called Bobby Hurley, if he had a chance to go back home, back east, would he take that opportunity? See, I think Bobby's going to coach. I don't think you're firing Bobby and Bobby would have get to another job. He yeah. would he would get another job. I, so I, I, Does he I, appeal to those types of schools right now? With what he's accomplished at Arizona State, it's not that it's not what he's accomplished. It's what it's what he knows. He knows those areas. His dad was a legendary coach there. Then why isn't he there? I don't know. He 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 because he, he wanted was an opportunity. Out, he, he was out east, and the first big opportunity that came up for a bigger program was ASU, and he took it. And his kids went to school here, and he likes it. And he's done a good job. He hasn't done a great job. He's done a decent job. Um, it's just you always ask that that question with ASU, like. Look, they don't have the best facilities. They play in an old arena. Like, can you? It's hard to compete. It's just hard to compete for ASU basketball with the portal and everything. I think Bobby's done a decent job. It's, you just you would like to see that team be better. You would like to see them get to the NCAA tournament more. You'd like to see them have some success in the NCAA tournament. He's made it twice, and he might have made it the pandemic year, but he has made it twice, but it's been a few years now since they got in. They had a great start to this season, but they didn't play anybody, right? They lost to San Francisco and got blown out, and they just don't have a great schedule to help them. The the past three seasons, they have not made the tournament. They made it two years in a row in 18 and 19. Right, then you had the pandemic year. There's an argument to be made that this season is Bobby Hurley's best. I mean, if you run just by win-loss percentage, by strength of schedule, this is the third hardest season that he has scheduled at ASU. There's an argument to be made that he's doing a good job in comparison to some of the other years he coached here. But this team doesn't finish ranked most years. They haven't made the tournament in three or four years. If they don't make the tournament this year, I think that you got to at least consider other options. You do. The question is, can you get a better coach? How do you I mean, know that without firing and looking around? 
Can well, you look around a little bit? Yeah, everybody does. You've got a list of coaches that that are out there. You know who's uh, who's available, and you know I, I don't think you. you know, and, but it is Ray Anderson, so I mean maybe they don't. So I, I don't know. I mean I would think that they would have a list of guys that they would target. You've got to see who gets fired and who's a young coach on the rise that maybe able to move up. And a lot of teams like to wait till the NCAA tournament. And you watch this coach go have some success, and like okay, that's the guy. Sure. Let's go get him. I I don't know that you could do better than Bobby. I mean, I really don't. I, I understand the thought, like, you got to try. You do have to try. Now, if you lose this game to Arizona, and then you lose to USC, uh, UCLA, and then you lose to USC, you end with this losing streak, it might be enough for people to say, okay, enough's enough. Like, we can't beat the good teams. We can't win these games. Another year of not going to the tournament. Maybe at that point, People will say, okay, maybe it will take these three games. Look, I do, I, I'm a big believer. You should know what you want to do. ASU should know right now whether they want Bobby Hurley to be their coach or not. It shouldn't depend on what happens in these last three games. Does the guy, you know, does the guy have a passion? Does he put his heart and soul into it? Do you, you know, do you feel like he's the right guy? And that's what you, you have to look at. Do you feel that Bobby Hurley is the right guy to take you? to the next level in college basketball. Can he propel ASU to be a perennial top four team in the conference? If he can do that, maybe you stick with them. If not, then maybe you decide to make a change. And the thing that ticks me off, too, and you know this about college basketball in particular, and, and basketball as a sport in general, is that if you have the best players, you should have the best teams. And I feel that Bobby's actually pretty good at getting the right players. He got Cherry. He's got Josh Christopher. He's had these uber-talented players, and I don't feel that the teams have gotten to the level of success that those players warrant. Text us your thoughts on Bobby Hurley and his future to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. Michael Bidwell was on the Dave Pash podcast, basically spelled out what the Cardinals need. We'll go over that next on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.